It's good to see y'all here this morning. It was fun. The uh, uh, first service, we had a couple that came in. They sat down. After the service was over, they came up to me and said, why did y'all start the service so early today? And uh, they'd forgotten that it was time change, so they got here a little early for the second service. And so uh, they were totally confused, so I just messed with their minds a little bit and told them they'd set their clocks the wrong way. And so uh, anyway, so that was fun, but it's good to see y'all today. And my hope is that today that more of you will be able to stay awake because you got an extra hour of sleep. Uh, So if you have your Bible, today we're continuing our study through the book of James, and so you can look with me in James chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse number 14, so if you can turn there if you'd like to. Um, Today's message, if you looked on your bulletin, is called, The Proof is in the Pudding. Now that is a statement that I have, I've said that before, you know, somebody will say something about Carolina football or Clemson, I'll say, yeah, we'll find out, because, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Now I've said that so many times, but you know what, I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I, so I was like, what is that, I mean, I say it so much, you think that I ought to know what it means, and so I, I looked it up, and it's actually an old English phrase, and the actual phrase is, the proof is in the eating of the pudding, which really didn't do me any good in trying to figure out what that means. And so, uh, so I kind of looked it up some more, and what I discovered is, now, now for me, the proof in the pudding, I, I naturally think of the kind of pudding that we eat. You know, I think of Bill Cosby, you know, doing those, y'all remember those Jell-O pudding commercials that he used to do? At, but the English pudding's different than ours. Matter of fact, in that saying, they were talking about sausage pudding. Now, doesn't that sound good to y'all? You know, I could just see Bill Cosby doing a great sausage pudding commercial, uh, but it was, a, it was not a dessert. And so if you wanted to know if it was well-cooked, if it was right, then, then you had to actually taste it. And so that's what they meant. When they said that, it was like, well, is the pudding, is it ready? Is it good? Well, the proof is in the eating of the pudding. And I thought about that, and I think in a lot of ways that applies to our faith. You know, there's, there's a lot of us who can talk about our faith and what it means, and we talk about, well, we're supposed to be forgiving. Uh, we are supposed to be a people who love others. We're supposed to be a people who are to be, uh, you know, sexually pure, and we're to be pure in our speech and in our thinking. And all those things are great things, and it's great to be able to say those things. Let me tell you something. Those things don't mean anything until you put them into practice. And so in other words, the proof is in the pudding. And so today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see James address the issue of our authenticity in our relationship with Christ. And I really believe that the greatest testimony that we can can give in our walk with Jesus is not so much about what we say, but what we actually do. You know, do we put our faith in what we say we believe in, do we put it into practice? Because nobody likes it when somebody says, you know, one thing, and yet they live the exact opposite way. I mean, for us as Christians, it's very detrimental to our testimony if we talk about how much we love Jesus, and then we're just like an absolute jerk to other people. Uh, And nobody likes it whenever we say one thing, and we live another way. And it's damaging to our testimony. It's also damaging to our, our walk with God. And so we'll look in James chapter 2 and verse number 14. And when we go through this, if, you, if you've read this before, uh, you can know that the book of James, for a lot of Christians, is, is a little bit confusing. And it can be frustrating to us. And the reason why is because the book of James oftentimes talks about what we do to show our faith. 
And it's almost like James is saying that, that your faith is something that you earn, that your walk with God or your security in God is something that you have to earn, which is totally contrary, it seems, to what the Apostle Paul taught in, in earlier books in the New Testament. Uh, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, so he's very influential for Christians. And one thing that Paul says about being a Christian is he says that, that you come into a relationship with God by grace. By, by you placing your trust and hope in Him, and then God's grace covers you. And so I like that. Well, then James comes along, and James says, well, we discover that your faith is real by what you do. And so it's almost like James is contradicting Paul in saying that if you're a real Christian, you earn your way into God's good graces. And so I've always been a little bit confused about the book of James, and I go, well, it seems like that Paul and James teach two different things. So who's right? Well, I'm going to answer that for you today. They both are. Okay, then how's that fit together? Well, the audiences that they were writing to were different. And so understanding the context of Scripture is always kind of a good thing. Uh, when the Apostle Paul was writing that we are saved by grace, and he says that it's not by our works, but it's by God's good mercy and grace that we come into a walk with him, the people he was writing to were very legalistic. Uh, they were people who were, in many ways, like me. They were rules and regulations people. And they're like, if I keep these rules, then I'm going to impress God. And if I do certain things, then that means that I will earn the good favor of God, and I'm going to go to heaven. And that's why Paul emphasized grace. Well, James was writing to a group of people who were a little bit more lax. They were morally lax. And so James told them, uh, because he understood that many of them were saying, we believe in God, we're good. And so it doesn't matter how we live. And James says, if your faith is real, so the proof's in the pudding. If your faith is real, we're going to see how you live your life. Now both viewpoints are taught in Scripture, and I think it comes well together in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, for, you are, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, so here's a question for us today. How can we know that we're really followers of God? How can we know that we really belong to God? Well, James shares with us that the proof is in the pudding. And we're going to take a look at a, at a few proofs that James gives us that shows that we are followers of Jesus. And one of the proofs that he gives us is he lets us know that faith isn't just something that you talk about. You know, just because you say all the right things, that you speak the Christian language, you know, Christianese, he says that doesn't mean, you know, that you're like a Christian. He says, so faith isn't just something that you talk about. If you look in verse number 14, Listen to what James says. They're very practical here. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? And I think too many times we reduce Christianity to being, uh, to coming about by, you know, we, we say we prove it by what we say. And sometimes we think we belong to God because we think if I was on Jeopardy, and they had the Bible category on there, I would clean house. You know, because I know a lot of stuff. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with having knowledge. I think we need to know what Scripture says. I mean, that is a great thing to know what the Bible says because I, I really believe there's a lot of us who are confused about who God really is because we don't have a clue as to what Scripture says. But the issue for us is not how much knowledge do I have. If just because I have a lot of knowledge doesn't mean that I'm a follower of God. Uh, the issue is not knowledge. The issue is practice. How are you taking what you know about God and applying it to your life? Look what James wrote. If you look in verse 14 again, he said, If a man claims to have faith, but he doesn't have deeds, he says, can that kind of faith save him? And that question is a rhetorical question. I mean, it's, it's that the answer to that question is obviously no. A profession, just because somebody professes to be a follower of Jesus, that, that does, that's not what brings them into God's family. It's all in the application of faith. See, if a person has been touched by Jesus, if they truly submit themselves to his leadership, then Jesus changes you. And he will change the way that you live your life. Uh, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It says, The old is gone, behold, the new has come. Now, I've said this a lot, but it is impossible for Jesus to touch your life and you remain the same person. God, can, God, I mean, it, God is too powerful to touch you and you remain the same. Let me try to give you an example. If I told you that for the last 10 years, I've been going to Gold's Gym, working out 20 hours a week, trying to bulk up to enter into, uh, you know, one of these contest, bodybuilding contests, would y'all believe me? Okay, y'all are supposed to laugh. Now, I mean, no, you're not going to believe me. Now, why are you not going to believe me? Because the only thing you have to do is look at me, right? I mean, I'm skinnier than a rail, and you're thinking... There ain't no way he's lifting anything. And you are absolutely right. Now, now, just because I can talk a good game, it doesn't mean that I'm actually living it. Right? Same thing's true with your faith. Just because you can say all the right, just because you can quote all these verses, just because you can point out when people are wrong and tell them how they're supposed to live, that does not mean that you belong to God. How, how can we tell? Look and see the fruit of the person's life. Look and see how they are living their lives. Because talk isn't everything. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. James taught that real faith isn't just what comes out of your mouth. It's more than what you say. It involves so much more than that. So proof's in the pudding. So James says that, that real faith isn't just something you talk about. He also says this, real faith isn't just something you feel. You, our faith isn't just about feelings. Uh, look with me in verse 15. He says, if a, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs. Well, what good is that? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now, James gives the picture of somebody who's in need of food, maybe somebody who's in need of shelter. And he says, the person in our text, they, 
they notice that. They walk up to him and say, I see that you don't have enough. Man, I hate that for you. And then they walk off. And they, they, they tell them, hey, keep, keep, well and, uh, keep warm and well fed. And then they leave. Now, if they don't do anything for them, how, how good is that for that person that's in need? Well, it's not, not real good, right? I mean, it's good that the person recognized that they were in need, because I think a lot of times now where we are is we can be totally callous to what's going on around us, that we don't even recognize the needs of the people around us. At least this guy did, but he didn't do anything. Now, if he was going to be helpful, what should he have done? He should should maybe give them something to eat. Maybe give them a blanket to help them out. Now, I like words of encouragement for people. It's amazing to me how words of encouragement can transform a person. But, you know, if you, if you come and speak to me and tell me that I can, I can do something that I really doubt that I can do, but then you just, like, walk off but don't tell me how to do it, or you're not going to be willing to support me and, and show me the way, then those words of encouragement aren't, aren't real helpful for me. I need somebody to, to mix it up with me, to get involved in my life. Now, there's nothing wrong with having feelings. Now, I think, I think feelings come from God. Emotions come from God, but those emotions and those feelings don't mean anything unless they move you to action. You know, I can see you slam your hand in a car door, and I can walk over to you and go, man, that looks like it hurts. I'm sorry. I can empathize with you, but then if I just walk off, my my feelings haven't helped you a whole lot, but my feelings help you if I come to you with the towel, maybe some ice, I like, I like what 1 John three seventeen and 18 says. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and truth. That, that's a great scripture. Don't just, don't just demonstrate your love by what you say. Demonstrate it by what you do. Now, I've always been skeptical of feelings. And I'm skeptical of feelings because some days you feel good and some days you don't. And so if you, if you base how you live, if you base your decisions off of your feelings, you're not going to be very consistent. And there's a lot of us who base our faith off of our feelings. And, you know, whenever we, whenever we gather in this room and, and the band plays, and I love that last song that they played, music moves me. And so I, and I, and I can feel some emotion. Now, those are great things. But I can have emotion and be moved, and then I can get in the car and drive. I'm I'm talking right after church, and I can pull out of here, and somebody can cut me off, or instead of driving their car, you know, they're taking their car for a walk, and I get frustrated, and I become angry. Now, I had all these good feelings in the church. How good did those feelings do me concerning my actions? Not very good. So to me, are those feelings worth anything? They're not worth a dime. Feelings don't matter if they don't change the way that I live. That's why I say that our faith has to be based on more than feelings. It's so important. I heard a story, this is a law, it's an old story. Several centuries ago, there's a queen who was going to a play, and it was freezing outside, and she rode to the play uh, on a coach. And she had, so she had a coachman, and she told the coachman, I want you to stay outside, and you wait for me until this play's over. So she went in and she watched the play, and it moved her. And it moved her to tears. And after the play was over, she went out to her coachman, and he had frozen to death. Now her response was she was irritated. 
She was irritated because she was going to have to wait for another coachman to come to pick her up. Now, she'd been moved by a play that wasn't reality. And yet, whenever she saw the world right in front of her, her heart was as cold as ice. And I thought, you know what, I have to be careful here as well because there's been a lot of, uh, many times in my life when I've done the same thing. When I can be moved by a performance or I can be moved by music and yet not be even aware of the plight maybe of one of my neighbors. John MacArthur, a pastor, said, In our artificial, self-centered world, fantasy often becomes more meaningful than reality. How do we know that our faith is real? James says the proof is in the pudding. And he said, now your faith is more than just what you say. He said, it's, it's not just something that you feel. Thirdly, he says, your faith isn't just something that you believe. I think that's interesting. If you want to know if you're really a follower of Jesus, then understand your faith isn't just something that you believe. Uh, verses 18 and 19 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. And I really think that, that Christianity for too many of us has been summed up like this. Just believe in God, and you're good. You know, if you just believe in God, then, then you don't have to worry about anything else. Everything's going to be okay. Now, in our world today... Over 90% of our world population believes that there is a God. Uh, in, in the United States, most people are going to tell you that they believe in Jesus. Now, that's a great thing. Believing's a good thing. But then James throws a monkey wrench in everything in verse number 19. He says, even the demons believe in God. And they shudder. Okay, now according to that logic, you know, if I believe that I'm okay... Do the demons have anything to worry about? No. You know, they believe too. They believe in God, so they're going to be okay. But that sort of contradicts, you know, what they're called. You know, demons in heaven, they don't really go together. So what's the deal about believing? Is believing, is it not that good of a thing? Believing's a good thing. Believing in God's a good thing, obviously. Uh, the Jewish creed, what the very first followers of God believed, Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They believe this. This was their mantra. Now, most of us agree with that statement, but as the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. The proof in the pudding part is found in Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, the point that James is making here is that a belief in the truth of Deuteronomy 6.4 means nothing until you follow Deuteronomy 6.5. What's Deuteronomy 6.5? You are to love God. Now, the demons believe. Are they going to go to heaven? No. Why not? Because they don't love God. You know, it's one thing for me to believe the right things, but it's a totally different thing for me to apply what I believe, for it to be a part of my life. Now, you look at yourself. What, what do you believe in? You believe that Jesus is the Christ? That Jesus is the one who can redeem? If you do, if you say you believe that, how has that changed your life? See, authentic faith is more than just saying, yeah, I believe that. It'll change the way that you live. Uh, there's a guy named Tim Sweat, who's a Christian author. 
And he was uh, talking about whenever he and his son, who's at the time was about seven or eight years old, they were hiking in the mountains. He said his son was up above him, and they're just sort of, sort of, you know, climbing along. And he said they got in this little path where they're walking. His, he was down below his son. His son was up higher than him. And he said, I'm just walking along. And he said, I hear my son yell out, hey, Dad, catch me. He said, I turn around. He said, my son is already airborne. And he said, flying down to me, and he said, I caught my son, and he said, he goes, I was scared to death, and I was angry, and he said, I started yelling at my son, what in the world are you doing? He said, you could have died. And he said, his son was totally perplexed, and he just looked at him, and he said, well, Dad, I knew you'd catch me. Now, that boy had such complete trust in his dad that he is willing to jump, and his dad caught him. Now, I don't recommend that for anybody else. But I started thinking about that, and I thought, that is a great example of faith. You know, not not just talking, but acting on what we say that we believe in. That little boy was able to live his life to the hilt and jump because he trusted his father. Christians, how much more so should that be true for us? That's what James is teaching in our text today. He's talking about faith. He said it's moving beyond head knowledge to action. What's, what's, what's real faith? How, how do we know we're followers of Jesus? Proof's in the pudding. Faith isn't just something we talk about. It's not just something we feel. It's not just something that we believe. So what is it? Faith is something you do. Faith is something you do. Let me read to you in verse number 20. It says, Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now there are times whenever I'll talk to, talk to some people and I'll, I'll talk to them about the church or I'll talk to them about, about Jesus, just kind of curious you know, where they stand with the Lord, and I say, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested. Now, this isn't always, but a lot of times people say that. I say, well, I'm kind of curious, like, why not? See, because I know way too many people who say they're Christians and they're hypocrites. And, you know, and I, and I always hate that because, man, there's hypocrites everywhere. You know, it's not just, it's not just us. You know, it's, it's everybody. And so they'll tell me that, but I, I do have an idea of where they're coming from. And, and here's what I think. I really believe that people, after all these years, they are so tired of seeing people or hearing people talk about what's important to them and not living it out. And what they want to see is people actually putting their faith into action. And so James talks about faith and action here. He mentions two stories. He talks about Abraham and Isaac and a prostitute named Rahab in the Old Testament. I uh, remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. God promised that uh, Abraham, through his son Isaac, he was going to make him into a great nation. You remember, Abraham is like 100 years old at this time. He's got this little kid named Isaac. I mean, it's not like, more like he's not having more kids, right? And so God says, through him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. So Abraham's excited. Incredible promise from God. And then God throws a monkey wrench in everything and, and says, hey, by the way, I know I've given you this promise, but now I want you to sacrifice your son on an altar for me. 
Okay, now, y'all, I don't get this story still today. I don't understand how all that works. I don't understand how God does that. I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. He called Abraham, said sacrifice him. Abraham has a dilemma here, right? He talks. He's got the talk down. I believe God. Now it's time for him to put it into action. God says, sacrifice my son, or your son. So what does Isaac do? Incredibly, he builds an altar, and he's going to sacrifice his boy. And the conclusion he came to was God gave me this promise. God, I really believe God's going to keep his word. So if God has to raise my son from the dead, he's going to do it because he's going to keep his word. He put his faith into action. The other story is Rahab, a prostitute. She lived in Jericho. Hebrew people are getting ready to cross over. Spies come to her house. Instead of reporting them, she's like, I believe God's with these men. And so she hides them, and then she sneaks them out, risking her own life. Now, James points these two stories out because these are stories of people who didn't just talk a good game, but a people who put their faith into practice. I, I like this old statement about faith. It says, our faith is not determined by what we do. It is demonstrated by what we do. George Blondin was a famous tightrope walker uh, in the last century. And uh, years ago, he was doing a publicity stunt, so he went to Niagara Falls, set up a tightrope, and he was going to walk across the Niagara Falls. And he did. I mean, he's walking across it. He gets all the way across, and people, you know, cheering and all that stuff. And, and so then he, he says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a wheelbarrow, and it's going to be filled up with dirt, and I'm going to walk back, pushing this wheelbarrow. He did it. Walked across, pushing the wheelbarrow back. When he got to the other side, I mean, people are going nuts. They're cheering for him. And one guy says, I believe you could do that all day. And he looked at him. He said, then come get in the wheelbarrow. That, folks, it is one thing to talk. It's another thing to get in the wheelbarrow. And Jesus calls for us not just to talk. I believe in Jesus, do you? And get in the wheelbarrow. Now we say as, as Christians, I believe that God forgives. And I believe that God has called us to be forgiving. Okay, if we believe that, who are you forgiving? I believe that God heals people. You believe that? If you believe that, who are you praying for? For God to touch and to heal. I believe that God restores marriages. You believe that? Your friends who are struggling, who are defeated in their marriages, you praying for them? I believe God, God can change lives and that he can rescue and redeem people. You believe that? Then who are you telling about Jesus? See, our faith is more than just talk. It's action. And Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, in light of all this, can you determine if you're, if, if you're a follower of Jesus or not? If you want to find out, look, look at how you live. Look at your eye. Not just what you say, that's important, but how you live. How you back that up. And there might be some of you saying, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I'm a pretty good guy. But if I, if I were to die I, today, I, I don't know where I stand with God. And I think there's a time when we, all, we really need to be honest with ourselves about that. Where, where do I stand with God? And some of you might say, I'm not real sure. Here's the beauty of Scripture. You can be sure. We're told in 1 John that these things were written to us so that we may know 
that we have eternal life. God wants us to know that we belong to Him. And if you're not certain, but you'd like to be certain, you can be today. Thank you.